chapter twenty one of the subjection of isabel carnaby this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the subjection of isabel carnaby by ellen thornycroft fowler chapter twenty one captain gaythorne's horsewhip captain gaythorne was intensely unhappy there could be no two opinions as to that and his misery was beginning to show itself in his countenance and bearing his ruddy complexion was fast losing its claim to that epithet and his round face was growing pinched and haggard his mother did not notice his depressed spirits and changed appearance she was just then so fully occupied with a scheme for sending out the sunday at home of yesteryear to the inhabitants of the south sea islands that she had no time nor attention to spare for domestic and family matters moreover mrs gaythorne had a great deal of the masculine element in her cast of mind notably that power usually the prerogative of the stronger sex of steadily refusing to see a thing at all for a long time and then as persistently declining to see anything else the natural and normal man either believes that his nearest and dearest are as behemoth in their strength or else he beholds the very jaws of death gaping to receive them he knows no middle course for the treading of the feet he loves between the path of the young heart upon the mountains and the via dolorosa that leads direct to the grave and in this respect mrs gaythorne was one with the normal man fabia saw what was wrong with her husband but she hardened her heart and did not care she was in a chronic state of irritation against him and there is nothing so hardening to the heart as irritability to use a horrible and popular expression of the present day charlie got on her nerves and a woman who is capable of allowing things to get on her nerves is capable of anything our grandmothers bless their memory did not allow things to get on their nerves either their husbands or things of less importance they knew the devil when they met him and therefore did not confuse ill temper with ill health nor call by the euphonious name of nerves the ungoverned passions of their own sinful hearts it is one of the devil's latest and most successful disguises that of the irresponsible and neurotic invalid the pose termed neurasthenia has completely thrown into the shade his old make-up of the angel of light as it not only deceives the victims of the performance but takes in equally the performers themselves and there was something if not much to be said on fabia's side charlie simply adored his wife but he did not take the trouble to understand her a not uncommon mistake among those who like the apostle peter are themselves married men 
charlie had cut and dried rules as to what women liked and what women did not like and he regulated his behaviour towards each and every member of the sex accordingly he had a deeply rooted conviction implanted by his father and cultivated by his mother's fostering care that the more a man permitted a woman to trample upon him the better that woman was pleased and therefore he persistently made himself into a door-mat under fabia's feet without pausing to consider whether this was the conjugal attitude most likely to suit her particular requirements charlie's rule of conduct was to do and to say everything that he thought would please his wife so far so good but he made the initial mistake of omitting to discover in the first place exactly what would please her in which error again he did not stand alone if he had worshipped fabia less and understood her more things would have been better for both of them and all this misery might have been averted but a firm conviction is hard to uproot especially if it be implanted in the mind of a man and most especially if it happen to be an incorrect one there is an innate loyalty in the masculine nature which makes it cling to wrong impressions as it would cling to lost causes it seems somehow rather shabby to throw them over simply because they happen to be unfounded this trait which is not without its excellencies is a survival of mediaeval chivalry and accounts for much that is otherwise difficult to understand in the sons of men therefore if charlie were miserable fabia was miserable also and let conventional moralists say what they will there are few things more selfish than misery it is the happy people who are the kind and unselfish people and it is quite right that they should be so it is not when our own pockets are empty that we see to the replenishing of our neighbours it is not when our own teeth are aching that we accompany a friend to the dentist's with regard to suffering although not with regard to sin we have neither the time nor the inclination to remove the mote from our brother's eye until the operation for the beam has been successfully performed upon our own fabia gaythorne was bored to extinction the dullness of her life was well nigh killing her and the truth that having chosen her own lot she was in duty bound to make the best of it in no way affected the fact that she neither made the best of it nor even attempted to do so life without love is far too dull for the majority of women so as a rule with their usual power of adaptation failing the real article they invent a substitute which is often as difficult to distinguish from the real thing as is elkington's best electro from solid silver the hallmark being in cipher and known only to the gods mortals are only able to differentiate between the two when the electro begins to wear off and that rarely 
happens until it is too late to change the plated goods of course ennui is no excuse for wrongdoing but it is often a reason for it it is the idle hearts as well as the idle hands that are supplied with occupation by satan the one person who saw charlie gaythorne's misery and was made wretched by it was isabel seaton how she wished she had never invited fabia to england at all and how she wished she had left a few stones unturned in her efforts to bring about a match between fabia and captain gaythorne if wishes were horses isabel would have had a fine stud but as it was they were now absolutely useless charlie had married fabia and fabia was breaking his heart and unless isabel were much mistaken fabia would soon break up his home also isabel was not the sort of woman to believe in platonic friendships unless she happened to have any special reason for professing that article of faith she was too fond of admiration but she knew that if such friendships did exist the contracting parties were rarely if ever newly and unhappily married women and their recently rejected lovers of course there was the case of herself and wrexham to prove the contrary but she was nearly forty and wrexham fifty-nine while ram chandar was in the prime of life and fabia only twenty-three time not only heals many sorrows it also obviates many dangers then again lord wrexham was an englishman and a gentleman and dr mukharji was neither the one nor the other as his treatment of isabel's appeal to him had proved moreover isabel was passionately in love with her own husband while fabia utterly despised hers therefore the intimacy between fabia and her cousin was not to be classed in the same category as the friendship between isabel and lord wrexham and as mrs seaton contemplated what the end of the mad folly on the part of fabia would probably be her heart was very heavy indeed the visit to paris had done no permanent good the relief it afforded had only been temporary as soon as fabia returned to london her visits to the rooms in mount street became as constant and as prolonged as ever in vain her husband besought her to go back with him to gaythorne in vain he suggested another trip abroad fabia was as immovable in her decision to remain in london as she had been in her decision to return to it from paris charlie felt that he could not speak to her about what was filling his thoughts nothing would induce him to do such a thing his chivalrous nature revolted at the bare idea of suggesting to his wife that her relations with another man were too intimate all that he could do was to have it out with the other man himself therefore the only course open to him was to go direct to dr mukharji's rooms and tell the popular charlatan what he thought of him and the instrument which appeared most to lend itself to the appropriate and adequate expression of this opinion was a good old english horsewhip
there were many reasons why the horsewhipping of dr mukharjee appealed strongly to the taste of captain gaythorne in the first place charlie hated the hindu because the latter had once wanted to marry fabia and no man really likes the other men who have wished to marry his wife in the second place charlie was far too normal and healthy-minded an englishman to entertain anything but disgust and contempt for any juggling with the supernatural he disapproved of everything of the nature of occultism spiritualism or prying into the future classing them all together in his own pellucid mind under the generic term of rot and thirdly charlie loathed dr mukharjee because he held the latter entirely responsible for the present state of affairs fabia was young and inexperienced but as he argued and argued with some reason mukharjee or as he called him that confounded nigger was old enough to understand the irreparable mischief he was causing by allowing scandal to associate his name with that of his beautiful cousin thus charlie hated ram chandar with a threefold cord of hate and decided to deal with his enemy as it pleased him fabia and her husband were sitting together at breakfast one morning close upon the end of the season it was always fabia's habit to rise early she had learnt it in india and the english custom of getting up late never appealed to her neither did she enjoy having her breakfast in her own room with nobody to talk to save her old ayah sadie who now fulfilled the part of maid to her she liked life and society she hated solitude and dullness and although she found charlie dull enough still even he was better than the ayah who never did anything but echo all that her mistress chose to say charlie did not do very much more it must be confessed but mrs gaythorne did that dear woman never erred on the side of being too subservient to anybody on this particular day however the cries of the south sea islanders for disused sunday at homes had apparently become so importunate that mrs gaythorne had risen while it was yet night to attend a breakfast-meeting which had been organized in order to satisfy the spiritual hunger of the heathen abroad and the more physical necessities of their committee at home how are you going to amuse yourself to-day my pet charlie asked he felt a horrible suspicion that his wife was going to see her cousin but hoped against hope that she was not fabia sighed wearily how am i going to amuse myself not at all i may try various means for the securing of that end but it is a foregone conclusion that they will none of them prove successful charlie's kindly face at once assumed an expression of sympathy he pitied fabia profoundly for having married a fool but he did not see how the evil was to be cured poor old girl i wish to goodness that i could hit upon something to amuse you i wish to goodness or even to badness that you could 
you don't seem to feel any interest in the sort of things that i talk about poor charlie's voice was very wistful fabia raised her delicately pencilled eyebrows does anybody it was extremely rude of her but charlie was very patient too patient for the type of woman with whom he had to deal i wish i could talk about things that you are interested in fabia dear i wish that you could it would make a considerable difference to me but other people can i'm not the only person in the world fortunately not even then the worm did not turn now there's isabel seaton don't you know a rattling good sort of woman surely she is interesting enough for anybody i never knew such a woman in my life for talking about thoughts and feelings and rot of that kind and all the sorts of things that women go on about for hours and hours together you ought to like talking to her o oh girl when she talks rot thank you the gentle charles hastened to eat his words by jove i didn't mean that when i say rot i don't mean rot i only mean that women like talking about a lot of highfalutin and sentiment that men poor brutes are much too great asses to understand and if you're on the highfalutin sentimental warpath mrs paul seaton's your man still it is possible that an undiluted and age-long tete-a-tete with isabel might pall in time especially upon another woman perhaps it might though hardly upon another man if that man happened to be seaton i never saw a beggar so cracked on his wife in my life and after being married all this time too he isn't like a husband he's more like a fellow that only meets his best girl once in a way and has to make the most of it he never looks at anybody else when she's in the room and he is always straining his ears to hear what she is saying and charlie laughed aloud at the memory of paul's infatuation there is always so much more humour in a thing done by someone else than in the very same thing done by ourselves our mere performance of an act at once robs that act of humour and clothes it with dignity in our own eyes i thought you approved of that sort of thing said fabia coldly you once told me that your father laid great stress upon the sanctity of marriage so he did by jove so he did he was a tremendous stickler for it i should think he did lay stress on it just a few rather then why laugh at mr seaton for practising what the late mr gaythorne preached i am not laughing at him i admire the fellow for it most tremendously i can tell you but somehow it seems a bit rummy for an old fellow of that age to be so deuced spoony don't you know why if he's a day he must be forty and though the fair isabel is a duck she's no chicken and charlie laughed again in the insolence of youth at his own wit and the seaton's folly fabia smiled too it struck her as so distinctly comic for her husband to be laughing at the seaton's and good-humouredly tolerating them 
then i gather that your late father would have commended the admirable seaton great scott yes just a little i commend him myself he's not a bad sort good old paul but as for my father you should just have heard him on the subject of how husbands ought to obey and reverence their wives and so they ought they're told to in the bible or something on the same lines don't you know i'm a poor hand at quotations but i fancy that's the idea it is a good thing that mrs gaythorne is not present or she would make you look it up in the commentary after breakfast by jove so she would the dear old mater never can bear me to be shaky about the hang of a text she likes it all cut and dried and committed to memory i remember once when i was a little chap there was a harvest thanksgiving at a methodist chapel the place where she went to when old cattley made such an ass of himself over that psalm business and what should catch her eye the minute she got up from that face in the hat affair at the beginning but a cross worked on the beam end of the pulpit in white chrysanthemums or michaelmas daisies or some other flower of that persuasion don't you know fabia knew only too well so well that she felt it would asphyxiate her to know it any better so she rose from the finished meal and the unfinished story and left the room saying as she went you'd better put to be continued and finish the tale some other time serial publication is the only form possible for stories of such length as that one charlie sat quite still after she had gone for a few minutes he was too completely crushed to move then other thoughts roused him i wonder if she's off to that damned scoundrel he said to himself i expect he's come round her with his devilish hypnotism or some vile humbug of that sort and the poor girl can't resist him by jove if i were sure of that i'd blow his brains out then a sudden idea struck him great scott i'll go straight to the brute's place now and see what the skunk is up to and if i find fabia there any one who had seen charlie's face then would hardly have recognized the usually good-tempered captain gaythorne it was not long before charlie put his threat into execution and jumped into a hansom taking with him a brand-new riding whip which he had only bought a few days ago but quick as he had been somebody else had been quicker he dismissed his cab at the end of mount street and walked the rest of the way another hansom overtook him but as it was going the same way as he was he did not see the occupant until it pulled up a few paces in front of him at the door of the house in which were dr mccarge's rooms and out of that hansom stepped fabia this was enough but it was not all she did not stop to ring the bell she was too much at home for that she opened the door by means of a latch-key and went straight in shutting the front door behind her and leaving her husband whom she had not seen standing stupefied on the pavement then charlie saw red 
his wife to possess the latch-key of another man's house so that she could go in and out undetected the mere idea of such a thing was insufferable and drove him to absolute frenzy it proved an intimacy between fabia and the occupant of that house far greater than charlie had ever insulted his wife by supposing possible if she had a latch-key to her cousin's rooms well the scandal-mongers were not so far out after all charlie was obliged to walk a little way up the street and back again in order to steady himself he knew that if he rushed straight into dr mukharji's presence he should kill the man then and there and for fabia's sake he did not wish that murder should be done but after a turn or two in the open air his frenzy of rage subsided sufficiently to allow him to present himself as any ordinary english gentleman at the fortune-teller's door and to ask in a fairly natural voice if he could see dr mukharjee he duly sent in his card so that there might be no mistake but he took care to follow closely upon it to prevent the possibility of being denied admittance he also kept his whip in his hand so that there might be no mistake about that either his first impression on seeing his enemy was surprise at the strong family likeness between the occultist and fabia mukharjee looked more like her father or elder brother than her distant cousin and his second was still greater surprise that a man as old as ram chandar should obtain so great an influence over a handsome young woman such as fabia youth is always sceptical as to middle age's power to charm it struck charlie as rather a joke that a man of forty should be able to fascinate his own wife but that a man apparently of about forty-five should be able to fascinate charlie's wife was considerably more than a joke was altogether an inexplicable mystery and a thing to be neither understood nor endured while these thoughts raced through charlie's brain the oriental came slowly forward with outstretched hand and a scornful smile which was the very counterpart of fabia's how do you do captain gaythorne he said in his low eastern voice which was as soft as a woman's allow me to welcome my cousin's husband to my humble lodging but charlie put his right hand behind his back to where the left one was gently fingering the horsewhip i haven't come here for any infernal palaver he replied and his face looked as nobody had seen it look except his comrades in action i've come to tell you that i won't stand any more of your damned nonsense there's been about enough of it as it is the oriental paused a moment in admiration before he answered how splendid these english people were when they were angry when he saw the look on charlie's face he understood why the english wherever they go are the dominant race then he began suavely 
surely fabia but he was promptly cut short by the infuriated young giant before him mrs gaythorne's name does not enter into this present conversation please remember that then may i inquire to what i owe the honour of this visit the fortune-teller tried to keep up his scornful smile but he was trembling all over he had never in all his life seen a man look at him as charlie was looking he understood now why the native tribes were in awe of captain gaythorne he was in awe of the man himself i can soon tell you that i've come to pay my little account of what i owe you for your infernal hypnotism and treachery and general damnableness that's what i've come for and if you please i'll settle my little bill at once and with it charlie showed him his horsewhip and looked like business his rage was breaking through its leash again the other shook from head to foot with sheer fear charlie saw his enemy's terror and it infuriated him still further what a coward the hound was surely you are not going to beat me with that thing pleaded the trembling occultist charlie laughed a grim laugh that was not altogether pleasant to hear but i am though i'm going to thrash you within an inch of your life for bringing your confounded fortune-telling and hypnotism and all the rest of your infernal rot into decent english houses and among decent english wives and then i'm going to pitch your miserable little body out of the window that's what i'm going to do and the sooner it's done the better i've no pity for damned scoundrels such as you and as the memory of how this man had come between himself and fabia rushed on charlie it maddened him so that he lost all self-control and seized his enemy by the throat meaning to shake him as a dog might have shaken a rat but before he had time to fulfil his intention or to bring the raised horsewhip down upon the trembling form that was struggling in his iron grasp the slender figure collapsed altogether and fell in a heap upon the floor leaving in charlie's hands a tangled mass of false black hair and beard and charlie saw lying at his feet no grovelling indian juggler but the unconscious form of his wife fabia gaythorne End of chapter twenty one